right, please grab your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 8. We've been coming through the Sermon on the Mount together, and now we come out of the Sermon on the Mount. We continue in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 17 this morning. I want to say a few things before we read this passage, and I hope this will help us re remember the structure of this gospel and kind of get a feel for our passage today. Where does it fit in the structure of the gospel of Matthew? If you remember, Matthew chapters 1 through 4 served as sort of, a, um, sort of an introduction into what the gospel is going after. Okay, So you have that opening genealogy that connects Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham. You've got the birth of Jesus, boyhood of Jesus there in Matthew 1 through 4. You've got John the Baptist heralding his coming. He's the one going before the king, saying, here comes the king, he's here. And then you've got the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, as we see him baptized. And after he's baptized, he's taken into the wilderness to fight Satan for a short time. And so this is the opening, sort of the introduction to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapters 1 through 4. Now I want you to notice the end of the introduction, which you can flip back for just a moment. The end of that introduction is chapter 4, verse 23 through 25. Look at that with me. This is the end of the introduction. Look at it. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Teaching, preaching, and healing all throughout Galilee, all these places. So, his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So this ministry of Jesus brought him a lot of fame. A lot of people knew about this teacher from Nazareth. And we see this summary of his ministry. And what we see is a word ministry and a works ministry. We see a word ministry. He's preaching and teaching in all these towns. And we see a works ministry as he's healing every affliction, as it says here. He's healing. So you have a teaching ministry and a healing ministry, a word ministry and a works ministry. So after this end of the introduction, we get chapters 5 through 7, which is this, this sort of overview of his word ministry. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. And then we move over into chapter 8 and we keep going and we see his works ministries. We see Jesus healing people. In fact, that's what's going to be in our passage today. Our passage we're about to read is Jesus healing three individuals, three different individuals. And then we see this broad view of Jesus healing essentially a whole city. And then we get the reason why, the purpose for his healing at the end of our passage in verse 17. 
So I want you to understand this connection, just a few things that connect uh, the Gospel of Matthew in our passage, okay? One would be authority. So when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're seeing the authority of Jesus in his teaching, right? So when he got done with the Sermon on the Mount, what did the people notice? They said at the very end, chapter 7, verse 28, 29, they said, man, he doesn't teach like the scribes. He's not like the scribes. This man teaches with authority. They noticed his authority. And then what we're going to see in our passage today, and as we keep reading after this, we're going to see his authority over sickness and Satan. Now, we'll get into this passage in a minute, but for example, he heals the centurion's servant. And what does the, centurion's, uh, the, what does the centurion say? The centurion says, look, I'm a man under authority, and I got people under my authority. And what I mean is I tell them do this and they do it. And so he says, I understand authority. I'm a man of authority. I get what authority is all about. I say something and it gets done. And he looks at Jesus and he says, man, but you have unmatched authority. And so we've got the authority of Jesus and his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we've got the authority of Jesus over sickness and over demons and Satan and everything else. Now, one other thing I want you to notice before we read this passage is the fulfillment theme. So our passage today is a continuation of the fulfillment theme in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew and study it, you'll notice that it has a major emphasis on Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus in the, in the, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is the scripture fulfiller. Now you go back and read it in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 and on, and you'll see it over and over again. Jesus will do something or something will happen to him. And then a little phrase will say, this was to fulfill and it'll point back to Jeremiah. Or this was to fulfill, and it'll point back to Deuteronomy. Or this was to fulfill, and it'll point back to Isaiah. He's the scripture fulfiller. He's the fulfiller of the Old Testament. That's who Christ is. And that's all through the Gospel of Matthew. And that continues today in our passage. So think about this real quick. We're about to read the whole thing. But chapter 8, verse 1 through 16, in our passage, we see Jesus as a healer. Now, what if I asked you, brothers and sisters, what's the purpose of Jesus's healing ministry? What would you say? Well, look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, we'll come to the meaning of that in a minute, but I just want you to think about that for a minute, that Jesus is the scripture fulfiller. And even today, what's the purpose of his, his healing ministry? Man, he's, he's fulfilling a messianic prophecy. He's, he's fulfilling prophecy about himself in his healing ministry. And Matthew points us back to the prophet Isaiah to see that. Now, chapter 8, let's read this together. Now, I want to remind you, some of these stories might be a little familiar to you. Don't forget to enjoy the reading of God's word. Don't, for, don't forget to, to, to worship Christ as you, as you see. Look, look at who he is. Look at what he's done. Enjoy this worship Christ as we read verses 1 through 17 together. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, 
a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's ask the Lord for help. Father, thank you so much for these words. Please, God, help us. Help us to see. Open our eyes that we might see your glory, Lord Jesus, through your word. We love you, Lord, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, quick breakdown of the passage. Verses 1 through 4, you've got the healing of the leper. That's one individual healing example. Verses 5 through 13, you've got the healing of the centurion's servant who was paralyzed. Second individual Example of healing. Verse 14 and 15, you've got the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, she, she was lying down with a fever. Okay, Third example of an individual healing. Verse 16, it broadens it out. And you get this essentially, we'll get there, but a healing of the whole town of Capernaum. Okay, And then verse 17 tells us why. And he quotes Isaiah 53 verse 4. So let's give attention to each one of these individual examples of Jesus' healing. So number one, we've got the healing of the leper. 
verse 1 through 4, the healing of the leper. Leprosy. So what, think for a minute what leprosy is. So leprosy is a severe skin disease. This would have been one of the most feared and dreaded diseases you could have gotten in Israel. Okay, a horrible thing. Deteriorating your body. Terrible, terrible thing. You go read Leviticus chapter 13, and literally these people that got leprosy, they had to be formally announced as, as unclean. Formally pronounced before the people of Israel, before the nation, as unclean. They were outcast. They had to wear tattered clothes and let their hair hang loose so everybody knew about it. They, were, they, couldn't, they had to live alone by themselves outside the gate, away from the people. If they came in contact with other people, they had to cover their mouths and cry out, unclean, unclean. This is a horrible existence to be a leper, to have leprosy period, but to be a leper in Israel. And so what does the leper say? What does the leper say to Jesus? He, he doesn't cover his mouth and say unclean. He comes to Jesus and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. What does this man believe about Jesus? This man believes that Jesus has the power to heal, to dominate the most feared sickness in Israel. That Jesus has power to do that. So he comes to him and says, you, you have the power, you have the ability to make me clean. Now I want you to notice this man does not show up claiming his healing. He didn't show up as some charlatan uh, uh, preacher, modern day charlatan preacher, you know, claiming his healing in the name of Christ, naming and claiming it. It's so arrogant. Not in the Bible and arrogant to claim your healing. No, he shows up saying, oh Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I know you can. I know your abilities. But maybe he realizes the truth that it's not always God's will to stop your suffering in this life. But he says, Lord, it's a humble faith. Lord, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus' response, if you look at it in verse 3, what was Jesus' response? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him. Now, Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him. We're going to see that in the next passage. He did not need to touch this man or be anywhere near this man to heal him. And yet Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches him. When's the last time this leper felt the compassion of human touch? When's the last time somebody touched this man? He's unclean. And yet Jesus reaches out this compassionate touch. And that's exactly what it was. If you go read the cross references, the, the, the parallel passage in Mark chapter 1, it says Jesus was moved with pity, compassion, and he touched him. Man, that's my Savior. That's Christ. That's the one full of compassion, full of mercy, full of love and pity, and touches this unclean leper that no one else wants to touch. His words, Jesus' words are simple. I will be clean. I will be clean. And what's the result? Verse 3 here tells us the result is, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately. That's power. Everybody else touches the unclean and they become unclean. Jesus touches the unclean and makes it clean. Power. Immediately. The power of Christ on display 
in his healing. Now, verse 4, look what Jesus tells him to do. Jesus said to him, See that, you see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. He's, he was just healed. Now, go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Go to the priest, offer the gift, offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded. You can read about that over in Leviticus chapter 14. What, ha what should happen when a leper is cleansed? So essentially, Jesus tells this man, go do Leviticus chapter 14. And you go read Leviticus 14, and it's this, um, it would have been a long ceremony of several days of this cleansing, this, this uh, uh, cleansing ceremony. He, he probably would have, would have had to go to the temple in Jerusalem, travel there and travel back. This long ceremony. But this is how this man's going to go from banished, an outcast banished, to man, he's apart, he's restored to the people of God. Now, why would Jesus tell this man, go do Leviticus 14? Why? One reason is because this is how he would be restored to his people. And Jesus wants that for this man. It's compassion. It's love. It's pity. He doesn't want him to be an outcast. Okay? Another reason would be the gospel symbolism that's wrapped all up in Leviticus 14 when you go read what the leper is supposed to do to be cleansed. So let me just try to mention that quickly without us going there. As a leper, what took you from being, if you go read Leviticus 14, as a leper, what took you from being banished, outcast, outside the camp, and restored you into fellowship with God's people? What, what did that in Leviticus 14? You had to have a priest. It had to be the work of a priest that did this sort of thing. And you know what that, that priest did as he brought you in? He took two birds. One bird is a sacrifice, a sacrifice in the place of the other. And he bleeds that bird out and puts that blood into a basin. And then he takes that second bird and he takes that second bird and dips that bird into the blood of the sacrifice and lets it go free. And you can just see that bird flying away with blood dripping from its body, washed in the blood, free to fly. And so you've got this picture. Jesus says, Go to the priest and do what Moses told you to do. Jesus is our great high priest. He entered into our unclean world to touch sinful lepers just like us. To shed his blood so that we could be washed in his blood and set free. Jesus said, hey, that little ceremony, leper, go do that. Not a leper anymore. Number two. The second individual healing is the healing of the paralyzed man in verse 5 through 13. Now, in verse 5 through 13, you've got a centurion that's appealing to Jesus. A centurion would have been a, 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 Roman, a Roman military leader. Okay, you got this Roman military leader, and he's appealing to Jesus. Lord, now why would that have been unique? Because here's this man that from the world's eyes is superior to Jesus. He's superior to Jesus in every way, politically superior, socially superior. And yet here's this centurion, this military leader acting like an inferior before the carpenter from Nazareth. So this is a unique situation where the centurion comes before Jesus and he bears the burden of his heart. We can read about it in verse 6. 
This is the burden of the centurion's heart. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. One that he loved is paralyzed at home. Paralyzed. And he's suffering, it says here. He's suffering terribly. Now, Jesus' response, if you look at verse 7, and he said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, when Jesus says, I will come and heal him, the centurion's response to him is amazing here. Just glance at it. Verse 8 and 9 is his response. But the centurion replied, Lord, think about this so-called superior man. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, he goes to another, come, he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. Amazing stuff. So how, how does this centurion view Jesus? How does he view Jesus? Well, twice here he calls him Lord. The superior one looks, so supposedly, looks at Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth, and, 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 say, and says, Master. Master calls him Lord twice. He, he's bringing this burden of his heart to him. He believes that Jesus can heal the paralysis. He thinks he can heal this man. He believes that Jesus has the power to do this. And this is probably the most important thing for you to see. He sees that Jesus has unparalleled authority. He has unparalleled authority. And here's what I mean. As I said just a moment ago, this man gets authority. That's why he said that. I'm under authority and I got people under my authority. I know what authority is all about. You say do this and it gets done. You just say it with your words and it gets done. And he's looking at Jesus going, and you have unparalleled authority. You can tell leprosy what to do. You can, you can tell sickness what to do. And it obeys you. You can tell the winds and the waters what to do, and they obey you. He believed Jesus had unparalleled authority. Now, how did this man view himself? The centurion viewed himself like this. He says, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. I'm not worthy. Now, if you go read the... the the parallel accounts in the other Gospels, the Jews were building him up to Jesus, saying, hey, this man is worthy. It literally uses that phrase. This man, this centurion, he's worthy. And yet this man doesn't feel it. He feels unworthy in the presence of Christ. He says, I am not worthy. Now, is that a godly attitude? Absolutely, it's a godly attitude. We see it in John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 11, where John the Baptist says, look, this, there's one coming, Jesus has one coming. I'm not worthy to even pick up his sandals and carry them. I'm not worthy to carry this man's shoes. That's a godly attitude. It's a, it's, it's a godly attitude. It exalts Christ. Now, one of the most dangerous places you can be is to feel worthy. Now, nobody would say it like that. Nobody would say, you know what? I'm worthy to enter into the presence of God. Nobody would say it like that. It's more subtle than that. It's you really think you're okay. You really think that you're going to come before the judgment and God knows your heart. And because your heart's good and you're a good person, you're going to be okay in the presence of God. You think you're worthy. And that's the most dangerous place to be. Because when you come before him in the last day, you're going to get the second death. You're going to go to hell forever. This is a godly attitude. I'm unworthy 
in the presence of Christ. Unworthy. Now, Jesus' response to this centurion is found in verse 10 through 13. Now, it's amazing. The first thing it says in verse 10 is Jesus marvels. He looked at the centurion and he marveled. Now, that word is used in Matthew, but usually it's people marveling at Jesus. This is the only place in Matthew where Jesus is marveling at someone else. Jesus sees this centurion and what he's doing, what he's saying, what he's believing. And Jesus, it says he marvels. Now notice this. Jesus' first response was not to heal the man's servant. His first response was not even to speak to the centurion. What's the first thing he does in verse 10? He turns and he speaks to his followers. He says something to the crowds. Now, he's going to say something to the crowds, and then in verse 13, he's going to turn to the centurion and say something to him and heal his servant. But the first thing Jesus does, he's marveling at the centurion and what's going on with him, and the first thing he does is he turns to the crowds, he turns to his followers, and he begins to say something to them. I want you to understand what's going on there. Jesus is seizing an opportunity. He sees something in this centurion, and he seizes the opportunity to teach a lesson. So he turns to his followers. So he sees the centurion. The centurion speaks. And Jesus says, hold up, y'all. I got to tell y'all something. Okay? I got something to say. And, And he opens it up with, truly I say to you. Truly I say to you. Verse 10. Truly I say to you. That's a phrase that's meant to mark off. I got an important lesson to say to you right now. I'm looking. You hear what that centurion just said? Truly I say to you. Listen up. I've got something to say to my followers Right now, we see his lesson in verse 10 through 12, and we see him healing the centurion in verse 13. So let's, let's think about this lesson. What's the lesson that Jesus wanted to use the centurion to teach? What's the lesson? And it's a two-part lesson. It's a two-part lesson. One, it's a lesson on faith. It's a lesson on faith. You see it in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such, what? Faith. Have I found such faith? Think about it. What did the centurion do? What, what, did, he, what did he do? What did he say? He brought this burden of his heart to Jesus. He believed Jesus can heal his servant. Jesus wants to come to his house. He says, I'm not even worthy of that. All you've got to do is say a word and it'll be done. And Jesus looks at that, and what does Jesus think? That's faith. That's faith. No, I haven't seen faith like that in all Israel. That's faith. The glory of Christ, I want you to think about it for a minute. The glory of Christ was not visible to the human eye. The glory of Christ is not visible to sight. Christ's glory is hidden behind the veil of his flesh. A real man is standing in front of the centurion. He sees a human. The glory is hidden behind the veil. And what faith does is reach behind the veil, see the true nature of Christ, and trust him. That's faith. This man showed faith. Faith thinks that Jesus' word is supremely powerful. What did the guy say? Jesus, all you got to do is say a word and it gets done. Your word is true. Your word is faithful. 
Faith leans up against the word of God, the word of Christ, and trust him in every single word, every promise, every command, every statute. I trust your word, not myself. I trust your word, not the world. It's faith. Faith is trust in his word. That's so applicable to us because we don't see Jesus He's not standing in front of one day. We're going to see him face to face. But right now he's not standing in front of us. But we have his word. Brothers and sisters, trust him. Be a man or woman of faith according to his word, his commands, his promises. So he teaches a lesson on faith. Now, second, and this might be what you haven't considered before. He teaches a lesson on the messianic feast the messianic banquet that's coming in the kingdom of heaven now you see that sort of language so look at verse 11 you get the language here of a future banquet sort of about sort of like what i was talking about in the lord's supper this morning verse 11 look at this language i tell you many will come from east and west and recline at table that's language of a feast. That's language of a banquet. Who's going to be there? Many from east and west. And also recline a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't that sound like a glorious feast that's to come? A glorious banquet where all the saints of old and people from all over the globe who are in Christ Jesus sit at that table, recline at table. Abraham's there, Isaac, Jacob's there, Moses is there, Nehemiah's there, and we're all there in the presence of Christ, feasting for his glory. Now there's other scriptures that speak like that, right? I mentioned it earlier, Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. We read it a moment ago in Matthew 26. I'm not going to eat of this again until I eat it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We see it in, in Luke 12. We don't, I wish we had time to go there, but this beautiful picture of that wedding feast that is to come where Jesus actually girds himself and it says he serves us. What? Go read it, Luke 12, 37. And so we got a lesson here on this messianic feast. And so think about what's happening here. Jesus sees the centurion. He sees, he sees that Gentile. He sees his faith. He sees the faith of that Gentile that's greater than anybody else's faith in Israel. And what begins to flood Jesus' mind? That banquet that's coming. He sees that centurion's faith, that Gentile's faith, and he begins to think about that, that banquet that's coming. Why? Because of those who are going to be there. Who's going to be there? People are going to be there from east and west. People like this pagan, this believing Gentile are going to be there. And you know who might not be there? And he gives a warning. Let's read this carefully. Look at verse 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a day coming of a beautiful, glorious feast of all the saints of old in the presence of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's coming. And yet there's going to be those that are cast into outer darkness. They're going to go to hell forever, weeping and gnashing of teeth, horrific pain. And this is what's flooding Jesus' mind as he sees the faith 
of this Gentile, this centurion. Now, this idea of an all-nations banquet was taught in the Old Testament. I want to read this to you really quick. Isaiah 25. Just, you can just listen to this with me. This is Isaiah 25, verse 6. All nations banquet that is to come. Listen to this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, plural, all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine and well-refined. Doesn't that sound glorious? And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over all peoples. The veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord God has spoken. The Old Testament taught that there was this all nations banquet coming. Where death is no more. Where every tear is wiped away. It's coming he says. But you know what the Jews have done? They still thought about that banquet that was come. But they thought of it as a merely Jewish banquet. And Jesus sees the faith of this Gentile. You know what he does? He sees the faith of this Gentile and he uses it as a chance to correct them. He says, listen to me. You being in that final banquet, you being at that last day, you being with Christ in the end, it has nothing to do with your ancestry. It has nothing to do with your lineage or your mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, great. has nothing to do with that. But it's those like this centurion who have faith in me. And there's going to be people from all nations at that banquet. And there's going to be people very familiar with his word that go to hell forever. And so he corrects their understanding with this centurion. Now, verse 13. So think about it. The centurion believed it. He said, look, all you got to do is say a word and it'll get done. All you have to do is say a word. Well, well that's what happened. Look, look at verse 13. And to the centurion, so he's, he's taught his lesson. Now he turns to the centurion. To the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And that's the power of Jesus' words. He said this simple phrase, and it healed this man's servant. Go read Psalm 29. It says the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of Christ right here is powerful. He just healed a paralyzed man from a distance. He moved paralyzed bones and muscles and ligaments and tendons. He moved them just with his words. Full of power. And it says right here, at that very moment. You see it in verse 13? Like the speed of light. Spoke it. It's done. Grace Community Church, trust his words. Let me encourage that. Please trust his words. This is, he just said it and it's done. We have the words of our God. Trust his words. Bank your whole life on his words. Every command, every promise, every statute. Bank on his words. 
Let Grace Community Church be full of people that have the no-nonsense faith of this military man. If you say it, it's done. All right, last individual healing, uh, number three. And we'll just be here just for a short time. It's in verse 14 and 15. It's the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Now, if you go read verse 14 and 15, what's wrong with his mother, mother-in-law? It says she's lying sick with a fever. She's bedridden. She's sick in her bed. And how does it say Jesus heals her? We see it there in verse 15. Just a touch. Just a touch. So the leper got a touch and a word. The paralyzed man got no touch, just a word. And right here, this lady, this mother-in-law, gets no word, just a touch. It's the power of Christ. Just, there she is. Just touch her hand. Fever's gone. Power. Glorious power, just like that. Now, how does she respond? Look at it. It says, she rose and began to serve him. Isn't that a perfect response? Now, you, you know, we've talked about this before, how the kind of miracles Jesus does point us to the greatest miracle of salvation, always. Jesus doesn't do petty little miracles like just levitating somewhere. He could do that if he wanted to. But instead, he does these miracles where he's healing blind eyes or healing leprous, leprosy. Or this sick person, he heal, he's doing it. And all these things are pointing to a greater healing of a salvation. And isn't this a perfect response? Every single person that's ever been truly touched by Jesus and spiritually healed becomes a servant of Christ. And that's what we see here. She rose up and began to serve Jesus. Now, after these three examples of Jesus' healing ministry, we're now in the next verse, verse 16, we're going to be reminded that Jesus didn't just do these random and rare healings of individuals okay we're getting these individual accounts but it's not like man it's just a rare thing but jesus did it right there it wasn't rare and it wasn't random okay that's what we're reminded of in verse 16 so look at it look at it with me chapter 8 verse 16 that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Now think about that with me for just a minute. Right there it says they brought him how? Who, who did they bring? It says they brought many to him. Many. Multitudes being brought to Jesus is what it says right there. Verse 16 says, and he healed all of them. He cast out the demons with a word, and he healed how many? It says all of them in that passage we just read. Now, if you remember, just glance back at chapter 4, verse 23 again. Look at 4.23. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee. That's a region. He went throughout this region. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And listen, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people and then you keep reading and it says man his fame no wonder his fame spread these aren't random and rare healings he's healing every affliction he's going to town after town after town and he's dealing with all the sickness and all the demon possession in these cities 
So I want you to try to imagine that for just a moment. If, if you go read the, um, the, the cross account in Mark chapter 1, the sa- same situation told from Mark, it says this phrase, the whole town was gathered at his door. So our, Matthew says many, Mark says the whole town was there. Okay? Uh, uh, Matthew says he healed them all. Luke 4 says he laid his hands on every one of them. This took some time. Every one of them in the town of Capernaum comes and he heals them all. He deals with all of their afflictions. So I want you to try to imagine what's happening in these cities where Jesus is doing his ministry. The influence of sickness and Satan is being eradicated in an entire city. Are you catching that? Like a whole town, the sickness and and satanic influence completely dealt with. Like, hey, doctors, just just go take a vacation or something. We're good. You exorcist? Hey, we don't need you here. Everything's fine. There's no demon possession. There's no sickness here. Hospitals just shutting down. Luke, the physician, loses his job. Do you understand what's happening in these towns? This is not random and rare. This is a whole city where sickness is dominated. No sorrow, no pain, no grief from the sicknesses. What's what's that experience like? And they get a taste of it. They get a little taste of heaven. And what it's going to be like when there's no pain and no tears and no death. And Jesus comes into this city and gives them a taste of it. Comes into this city and gives them a taste of it. No wonder his fame spread far and wide. Now, a quick, just kind of a really quick reminder here. Again, this is a reminder. The charlatan preachers, I mentioned a moment ago, doing their little bitty bitty, uh, healing ministry, saying, well, we're just trying to be like Jesus. Please stop letting them do that. When they're doing their little healing ministries, grab their hand, take them to the children's hospital, say, get to work. Go be like Jesus. Don't let the fake stuff get by. Think about what Christ is doing here. This isn't random. It's not rare. It's not petty. This is cities devoid of sickness now. Now, what's the point? What's the reason for Jesus' healing ministry that we see here? Well, verse 17 says it. Let's read it one more time. This was to fulfill... What was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah 53 4. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So, what, what's up with this healing ministry of Christ? Man, he's fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling prophecy that Isaiah spoke. Now, I want you to do this go to, hold your place and go to Isaiah 53. Hold your place in Matthew. And let's go read Isaiah 53, the verse that he's quoting. Let's compare these two. So, Matthew says, here's how he quotes Isaiah 53, 4. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Got it? Isaiah 53, 4. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Okay, think about it. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You read it in Isaiah 53, 4. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, Matthew did not mistranslate Isaiah. 
Real quick, I want you to think about this. This word in Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. Go do a study on that Hebrew word. In other places where it's used throughout the Old Testament, it's sicknesses and sicknesses, sicknesses, sicknesses. This is a right translation. He bore our griefs. He bore our sicknesses. Sicknesses bring grief, terrible grief. And carried our sorrows. That's pain. Pain. It causes sorrow, sickness, and pain, and afflictions. And Jesus carried this stuff. This is a good translation that Matthew gives here of Isaiah's word. It's a fitting translation. Now, just think with me for a minute. The, the passage, the passage that Matthew quotes from in Isaiah is in the fourth servant song of Isaiah. It's a prophecy all about the Messiah. And we can see all kind of stuff about the Messiah in Isaiah 53. It really starts in 52, but... Isaiah 53. We see all kind of stuff about the Messiah. We see uh, a substitutionary atonement. Jesus was, he'll be wounded for our transgressions. He'll be crushed for our iniquities. We see propitiation there where, where, where um, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was the wrath-bearing sacrifice. We were supposed to come under the crushing of God's wrath and the Messiah is going to take the wrath instead. We see justification. Isaiah 53, 11, He will make many righteous. We see justification. So we see a lot about the Messiah. But the focus of Matthew, where I want us to focus, is verse 4. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Because that's what Matthew is quoting about Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Messiah. So Isaiah 53, verse 4. What does it mean? What does it mean? Just glance at it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We know it has something to do with sickness because of that a Hebrew word and also because of the way Matthew translates it. Okay? It has something to do with sickness. And here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that Christians should not and will not be sick now because Jesus died for your sicknesses. It doesn't mean that and that's not the way Matthew uses it, right? That's silly stuff. I mean, I've had somebody... There's a man that's told my wife before, hey, sister, you're not under the curse, so you don't have to worry about pain and, child, and childbirth. Idiot. <laughs> but they get it from this kind of stuff. It's, wrong. it's not the way Matthew translates that. So, so what does this verse mean? Well, Matthew interprets it for us, right? Think about it. What, G, what Matthew sees Jesus doing in Matthew 8, verse 1 through 16, he's healing the, the paralyzed. He's, he's healing the leper. He's healing the, the woman with a fever. He's healing whole cities with compassion and power. And he says, you know what he's doing? He's doing Isaiah 53, 4. He's bearing our griefs. He's carrying our sorrows. In other words, think about it like this. What kind of Messiah was Isaiah expecting? What kind of Messiah was he expecting? Substitutionary atonement? Yes, we say that in Isaiah 53. Propitiation? Yes. Justification? A justifier of the sinners? Yes. We say that. What else? What was Isaiah expecting in a Messiah? Well, he was expecting in Isaiah 53, verse 4, Messiah. One that had power to heal. Power over sicknesses. But listen, not just power over sicknesses, but compassion and pity and love to meet those sicknesses. He carried our griefs. 
He carries our sorrows. Now, I don't want you to miss that. The healing ministry of Jesus not only shows us Jesus' power, but also his compassion. In other words, Jesus was not cold to human suffering. It wasn't like Jesus said, you know, I worry about the eternal stuff, and, and, and I'm worried about that. I ain't worried about this suffering here. No, he cared about the leper. He touched him with compassion. He cared about human suffering. One of the most beautiful places to see that is, is um, the, the verse that, that everybody says, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Remember that? There's Lazarus. Les, Lazarus is dead in a tomb. Dead in a tomb. And his sisters are in front of Jesus and they're weeping over the death of their brother. You know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't move with a cold heart and say, hey, look, I'm about, to ra- I'm about to raise him from the dead, so cheer up. Chill out and cheer up. He doesn't say that. It says Jesus, he knowing he's going to raise him from the dead, it says he weeps with him. That's the Savior being presented here. He carries our grief. He, he bears up under our sorrows, our sickness. Jesus is the Isaiah 53 Messiah. He's, his healing ministry shows him to be the Isaiah 53 verse 4 Messiah. Let me read this one more time. I want you to think about this. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet, listen to this, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Do you get that verse? Isaiah understood this, that there's coming one that's going to carry our sicknesses and our sins, and he's going to have compassion. He's going to heal the lepers. He's going to heal the paralyzed. He's going to heal whole towns. And yet, what are we going to do? We're going to esteem him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. It's exactly what we see in the Gospels. How could they crucify this man? He's healing whole towns with love. With, with that compassion in his heart, he's healing whole towns. How could they crucify him? But it's exactly what Isaiah 53 verse 4 says that they would do. There's a John Piper quote that, um, that I know we love. I love it. I think you guys love it. And it's, we care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Okay? We care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Now, what's being communicated in that, in that quote? It's communicating this, that we care especially about eternal suffering because going to hell forever is worse than leprosy. Going to hell forever is worse than being paralyzed, worse than being sick. So we care especially about eternal suffering. We get the gospel out to people because we care about that. But it doesn't mean we're cold Toward all suffering. We care about all suffering. Especially eternal suffering. That's what's being communicated in that phrase. And I think it's a good way to communicate it. Now, have you ever considered applying that to Jesus? Jesus cares about all suffering. Especially eternal suffering. Does Jesus care about eternal suffering? Yes. Look, right after Isaiah 53, 4 about him carrying our sorrows and sickness and caring about human suffering on this earth. Verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He went to the cross. He cares about eternal suffering. 
but he's not cold toward all suffering. And we see that in the Gospels. As Jesus goes out on this healing ministry with compassion and pity in his heart, as he cares about all suffering, and yet when it's all said and done, he ends it at a cross, crucified for sinners to deal with eternal suffering, risen from the dead as the Savior. It's a beautiful thing. I want to close just with this thought. It's a connection between sin and sickness. When sin, when sin entered the world, sickness and death, afflictions, suffering, grief followed the sin. Sin came into the world and sickness and these other things followed. Sin is the root and sickness and everything else is a fruit of sin entering the world. And I want you to think about Christ. Why did he come? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came to deal with the root. He died for sinners to deal with the root. And because he deals with the root, one day in eternity, Revelation 19, Revelation 21, every tear wiped away, no more pain, no more death. It's going to be all dealt with, all done. And what we get in Jesus' healing ministry is a little taste of that. That Jesus is pushing back the curse in Capernaum. He's pushing back the curse throughout all of Galilee. And he's given us just a little taste of heaven that he purchased by his own blood. What a day it's going to be. What a day that'll be when we see Christ and the kingdom comes in full. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to worship you. Lord, your words are so powerful. And seeing your compassion and pity and love and power to heal, Lord, it, it's so glorious. I pray, Lord, that you would draw out our hearts, everyone's heart here, to be full of worship and love towards Jesus Christ. We want to be those that love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, Lord. God, we don't want to be religious people that are merely religious, who have no affections, Lord. You've just shown us so much, so much glory in your word about who Christ is. Lord, give us hearts that worship. And I pray, God, for anybody here this morning that is not saved, God, I pray that you would haunt their thoughts. That eternity would constantly knock at the door of their thoughts. And Lord, that they would turn away from this world and put their hope in you. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.